This is our second session on 1 Thessalonians 2, 17-20. But since we were orphaned from you, brothers, for a short time, in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face, because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. So he's protesting how strong his desire is to see them. The fact that he hasn't shown up is not because he doesn't love them or doesn't want to come. It's because Satan hindered them, and now he's going to argue for the strength of his authentic desire for them by saying this, For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting? before our Lord Jesus at his coming. In other words, when Jesus comes back, what will be our hope? What will be our joy? What will be our crown of boasting? Is it not you? And then he says it, for you are our, and then instead of repeating hope, he says, you are our glory. And then he repeats joy. So what I'm going to do is Save this circled phrase for next time, because I think the word boasting presents a unique challenge, since we usually think of that in negative terms. What does crown of boasting mean that they are? And just focus on hope, joy, and glory. So you are our hope. You are our joy. You are our glory. So you have joy, hope, glory at the second coming. And who is the joy? Who is the hope? Who is the the one in whom they will glory? Answer, you. Now here's the issue. I thought God was there joy, God was their hope, God was their glory, or Christ was their joy, hope, and glory. Now he says, you are. Is it not you? Father, as we try to understand that relationship between Christ being our hope and our joy and our glory at his coming, and Paul saying the Thessalonians are, the fruit of his labor are, How should we put those together? I ask this, that you would help us in Jesus' name. Amen. You know it's an issue because those three very words are right here in Romans. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. So justified, standing in grace, we rejoice in hope of the glory. So there they are, joy, hope, glory of God, not the Thessalonians, right? Joy, hope, glory, God, God, God. So the question is, how does rejoicing in, hoping in, 
and finding our glory in people relate to our rejoicing in, hoping in, finding our glory in God. Philippians 3 and 4 make it plain. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Again, I will say rejoice in the Lord. So there's no question that central to Paul's whole understanding of the Christian life is that our joy terminates on Jesus. He is our joy, our hope, our glory. So how do they fit together? You know, my suggestion to you is that when you bump into paradoxes like this, or uh, stresses, or tensions, or troubling insights like this, and you wonder, how can they fit together? Don't be superficial and close your Bible and say, oh, the Bible's full of contradictions, and then go tweet about it, or do Facebook, or some other kind of public thing that gets you a name for how clever you are to spot contradictions in the Bible. That is so superficial. Rather, say, all right, I trust the Bible. There must be a unity. I'll dig for it. And then you become something worth listening to instead of just touting the Bible's contradictory nature. It isn't contradictory. So here's here's what I have found. I commend this to you. And you can do this for yourself because what you do is you just get a concordance. You, you do what I did. I looked up all the places where joy and hope and glory and crown and all these words come together in Paul and sort through the data until you see things starting to fall into place. So I jumped over to Hebrews, which I know Paul didn't write, but it was a great pointer to an idea in Paul. Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. So why did he endure the cross? How did he endure the cross? Despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He did it for the joy that was set before him. And you could say, well, isn't that joy to be seated at the right hand of the throne of God? God was his joy. But the problem with that is he had that position and that joy before he became a human being. He didn't need to go to the cross to have that. He had that forever, eternally. The cross was endured to achieve something that would also be part of his joy. What was it? So now I'm back to Paul, and I see this. Ephesians 5, Christ loved the church and gave himself up. So that's the cross. He endured the cross for her. Why? That he might sanctify her. What's that mean? cleansing her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present, this is amazing, present the church to himself in splendor. He wanted a beautiful bride. That's the joy set before him through the cross. It would be like a man who's in love with with a woman, and in order to have her, he must suffer. He must cross oceans and climb mountains, (laughs) and he will have her because he wants her. But Christ creates the kind of bride he wants by the blood of the cross so that she would be without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. 
that she might be holy without blemish. The, the holiness of the church is the beauty of the church which Christ died to achieve. That's the joy set before him that gets him through the cross. Now, what, what is this beauty? Here it is, 2 Corinthians 3.18. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed. This is what he achieves by the cross. We are being changed, transformed into the same image. What image? The image of the glory of the Lord from one degree of glory to the next. What is the splendor of the church that he died to achieve? It's Christ's glory in the church, the beauty of Christ in the church, the reflection, the image, the same image as the Lord has, which means then that when he is rejoicing in the people of Christ, he's rejoicing in the reflection of his own image, and there's no competition between the joy that he has in the church and the joy that he has in himself because the church is the image of himself. Now, I'm arguing that Paul participated in that same passion as Christ when he went to the cross. Paul lives for the beautification of the bride of Christ and will rejoice in it the way Jesus does. 2 Corinthians 11.2, I feel a divine jealousy for you. Since I betrothed you, he's not the husband, he's the matchmaker, as it were. I betrothed you to one husband, Jesus, to present you a pure virgin. So Christ dies in order to make his bride beautiful and pure. And Paul says, all right, you've called me into that process. I will labor with all my might to bring you a Thessalonian church that is mature and pure and beautiful at the day of Christ, so that when I present her to you, I will rejoice in her the way you do. And here it is again in Colossians. Colossians 1.22, Christ has now reconciled you, this is Colossians, but you could say Thessalonians, has reconciled you in his body of flesh by his death, so he dies to reconcile them in order to present you holy and blameless. Christ died to make the body of Christ beautiful, the bride of Christ beautiful, blameless, and above reproach. And now here's Paul's participation. Him, Christ, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present. So Christ dies to present the church to himself in holiness. We labor to present the church to Christ in holiness everyone, to present everyone mature, beautiful, complete in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So here's my conclusion. So when Paul says, for what is our hope? What is our joy? What is our glory? And answers, is it not you? You are our glory. You are our joy. You are our hope. He doesn't think in terms of an alternative to Christ. 
no, 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 but rather as the image of Christ, the evidence that Paul has devoted himself to Christ-likeness in the people of God. So I don't think there's any tension at all between Paul saying, the Thessalonians are my hope, the Thessalonians are my joy, the Thessalonians are my glory at the coming of the Lord Jesus, because they will simply be a reflection or an image of the one who is ultimately lovely, and they will be evidence that I have devoted my whole life to exalting Christ in them.